me up in, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, and we'll go through verse 3 of Galatians chapter 6. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul, and Paul says these words. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexuality, sexual morality, impurity, um, um, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And I love this, so... He clicks off 15 things. Maybe some of you are going, I don't see my thing on there. (laughs) Relax. Paul says, and things like these, right? (laughs) So this ain't a comprehensive list. And then these harrowing words, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. As we've been laboring in this church over the last several weeks to just talk about this this important kind of doctrine of renewal. God, the engine of renewal is the Spirit of God. So give me grace, Lord God. Give me clarity of mind as we unpack this, this seminal text on what the Spirit of God pulsating through the life of the Christ follower looks like. I pray as the old African-American preachers would pray, God, would you stand in my body? Would you think with my mind? And would you speak with my tongue those things you'd have us know, say, and do? Stir our affections. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. True story. Her name was Kathy Boone. And in January of 2020, Kathy Boone died at a homeless shelter in Astoria, Oregon. The last several years of Kathy's life was spent in abject poverty. Her family had lost track with her. They they didn't know how bad things had gotten for Kathy. In fact, beginning in 2016, Kathy's family had kind of put out a full court press. They They were frantically trying to find her. The reason why they were trying to find her is because they wanted to alert her that Kathy's mama had, had just died. And so again, they had no idea how bad things had gotten for Kathy. They didn't, they didn't know that she was living in, in utter 
kind of poverty and homelessness. And so they, they tried to track her down through social media. That didn't work. They tried to track her down through emails. That didn't work. When they got really desperate, they hired a private investigator. Nothing there. And the reason why they were so frantic in trying to find her is, again, Kathy's, Kathy's mama had died. But not only had Kathy's mama died, but Kathy's mama had bequeathed to Kathy, had willed to Kathy, $884,000. You get the juxtaposition? Here's Kathy living in abject poverty and homelessness, not realizing that there was an account with her name on it with abundant resources, 884000 yet, yet she just lived in poverty. And before we kind of suck our teeth at Kathy, I want you to understand, spiritually speaking, a little bit of Kathy Boone lives in all of us. In Ephesians chapter 1, wrap your minds around this concept. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, talking to to Christ's followers, he says, I want you to know the same power that raised a dead Jesus is available to you. Man, if I was in a chocolate church, cue the Hammond B3 organ. We running around church. We saying amen. But I know how y'all roll here at reality. Y'all don't have to talk to me. That's fine. You're begging for a long sermon because I don't know if you're getting it. So Paul wants us to understand, you have resurrection resources at your disposal. When you got saved, the same power that, that raised the dead Jesus, and yet the truth of the matter is, not just for you, but, but for us, I, I put myself right in the middle of it. How many of us opt for morally and spiritually bankrupt lives, living in moral and spiritual debt, living as paupers when when we are princes. The same power. It's available to us. And yet all of us know what it's like to kind of take tours of duty through moral and spiritual bankruptcy where we're getting beat down by gossip or lying or slander or, 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 or some kind of addiction or pornography? How many times do we just kind of look at our own lives and just say, when will I be free of this? So question on the table. I just want to unpack with you over the, the next several moments we have together is, okay, Brian, I, I see I've got resurrection resources available to me. How do I access that? How do I I access that power on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis in my life? You know, know, every time I come here, I just tell you, I've got got three sons, 21, 19, 17, a year from now. I'm naming it and claiming it. We are empty nesters in the name of Jesus. It's just me and my girl. 23 years, we're done. We're done. Like, I've already retired from parenting and haven't even given them my two-week notice. Like, I'm done. So, so my, my 21-year-old is hashtag adulting in, uh, in Phoenix, and man, you know, he's doing well, and you know, locked into a church there, and things are going well. Uh, you know, he, he's, he doesn't live a perfect life. We understand that. There's challenges, and man, I just want you to understand, I know many of you are young adult kids. Let me just say to you what your parents are thinking, man, this is hard, having young adult kids, because a lot of times with my young adult kids, what I hear is... Um, um, I, I don't need help, I need money. I don't need help, I need money. I don't need help, I need money. I'm like, I'm so confused right now. 
And so my, my, 20 -year -old call, my 21 year old calls me a couple months ago. It's just like, you know, uh, dad, you know, I just kind of, you know, hit the wall. I'm not gonna be able to make rent this month and must've been walking in the spirit because I said to him, no problem. I got you, I'll write a check. To which he responded, dad, checks are so 1989. I'm like, ain't that something? You broke, and, and you complaining to me how you gonna get your money? Unbelievable, the nerve, the nerve. <laughs> so he hit me to this thing called Zelle, and you know. What I did was, with the click of a button, I transferred resources from my account to his broke account. But, the, but, but, but he had a bit of a problem because the way he needed to access that money, it, it wouldn't have made any, any good unless he had something called the bank card. And the bank card allowed him to apply the resources to the daily kind of needs in which he had. Here's what I want you to understand. When, when, when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, the doctrine of justification is God looked at you and I and he declared us righteous. The doctrine of justification says you're declared righteous. It's similar to what God said of Jesus in Matthew chapter three when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He says that of you and I, and he doesn't say that to us because of the amazing quiet time streak we're, we're on or how much we've been giving or, 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 or our moral choices. He says it because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to our accounts. There has been a transfer from the abundant resources of God's account called Jesus Christ, his righteousness. That now has been zealed to our morally depleted accounts and God can legitimately say, I don't care what your mama said about you. I don't care what your daddy said about you. I don't care what, what your ex-boyfriend says. I call you righteous because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, how do I apply that righteousness to my life? The bank card of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you got saved, listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And the Greek word for body, it is so interesting. It, you get, get this, it means body. <laughs> the Spirit of God is living in you right now. So stop praying, God, I need more of you. You've got all of God you will ever need. The question is, does he have all of you? And so salvation means this. I can never lose the presence of God. I can, you can lose the power of the spirit of God. Okay, so we've got some work to do. Because let's just call it what it is. The Holy Spirit has a major branding problem. And I caught on to this at the age of eight. I grew up in a little chocolate church on the south side of Atlanta. Um, our church didn't have all this. We, we had pews, but we didn't have the cushion. We didn't have central air. Our central air was a little wooden stick with a piece of cardboard stapled to it that had a picture of Dr. King on one side and an advertisement for a funeral home on the other side. 
any other chocolate people grow up in a church like that? That was our air conditioning. It was back and forth and back and forth. And the house I grew up in, in the traditional black church, we didn't wear Crocs to church. We didn't wear shorts. We were suited and booted in polyester suits, which made for an extremely miserable experience because church for us started at about 11 and ran till about two-ish in the afternoon. And there was no break for snacks. Kids these days are so soft. And here I am, eight years old, itching in my polyester suit and snap-on tie. And the pastor is preaching not out of the message, not out of the New Living Translation, not out of the English Standard Version. He's preaching out of the King James Version. And in the King James Version, they referred to the third person of the Trinity as the Holy. That is not an endearing term to an eight-year-old. Like nothing in me says, I want a relationship with you. I, when I hear Holy Ghost, I'm hearing Stephen King music in the background and this thing hovering over me. It's just, it was so weird. I don't want a relationship with a ghost. And I didn't get much practical teaching on that. In fact, in my church, uh, every time someone passed out, they said they got the ghost. Again, nothing in me says, I want that. A couple years later, at the age of 17, I kind of acknowledged the call of vocational ministry. I, I then take off to a small Bible college, very conservative in the Northeast. And, um, and when I get there, um, it, it was clear to me right away that their trinity at my little conservative Bible college, their trinity was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. So there was, there was a sense in which, hey, Holy Spirit, we, we're going to keep you on the bench right now. And in your place, it's just kind of, kind of be the Bible. I didn't get much teaching on, on the Holy Spirit. Just kind of read the book and just do it. Like, just read the book. Like, it's, it's in the book. But, but here's the problem with that. The problem is, Jesus says in the Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, listen, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. In my, in my place will come a comforter called the Holy Spirit. Watch this now. And he will guide you. And much of life is lived in the gray. Like when I first fell in love with a woman who's now my wife, back in 1998, I remember seeing her for the first time in church. She's half Mexican, half Irish, all fine. <laughs> she had just come to know the Lord, and I felt led of the Lord to be a part of her spiritual formation process. <laughs> and we fell in love with one another. I needed to know, is she the one? But there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that's going to give me that. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Because much of the life of life is lived in the gray. And so get the picture. I, I grew up in a church that doesn't really teach on the Holy Ghost. I then get to Bible college and it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures is their trinity. They don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And when they do, it's just kind of presented in such a way to the Holy Spirit's just kind of this impersonal force. And I go from there to a full-on charismatic church. I mean charismatic, no seatbelt. 
Again, they had this ministry because people were getting slain in the spirit every single week. They had this ministry of, of, of older seasoned mothers that when a woman got slain in the spirit uh, to protect her modesty, they would like drape a tablecloth over her. Anybody ever, ever seen that before? And irony of ironies, we, we, we hired a person from a very, from a very conservative cessationist church. Um, that's actually a word. Um, they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We hired this person. One of their first Sundays there, um, a, a woman is preaching, right? So their inner Pharisee is already spazzing out. <laughs> woman is preaching, and um, she lays hands on him, and he goes out. And the way he goes out, let me try this. Y'all pray I get back up. The way he goes out, he goes out like this, one foot like this, one foot like this. And one of the assistant pastors is trying to straighten this leg, but it ain't budging. And it's like a struggle for like three or four minutes. Well, afterwards, please get up. All right. Uh, afterwards, we're, we're, in the, we're in the green room talking about it. And the assistant pastor tried to straighten his leg says, man, I, I, I sense some demonic activity around that leg. There was, there, was, there was a war in the spirit realm around that leg. And the guy who passed out says, that wasn't demonic activity. I had a hole in the bottom of my shoe. And I was worried if you extended it out, the whole church would see the hole in the bottom of my shoe. And I just remember standing there as an intern going, is that what the spirit is? Is it just theatrics? I literally knew people in the church who would speak in tongues and then cuss you out on the parking lot. Is this thing just theatrics? And, and, and what I learned from this church is there was such an obsession with experience and gifts that they denied and diminished fruit. So I want you to just understand the tension. One side, very conservative, just read the book. The other side, experience, theatrics. Paul, you gotta help a brother out. What does life in the spirit look like? And look at verse 16. He says, but I say, hear it now, walk by the spirit. He's writing in Greek, in the Greek word for walk, para pateo, para pateo. It, 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 it's used more times than not by Paul, not literally to speak of the physical repetitious movement of one's feet, but it's oftentimes it is used figuratively to speak of how we conduct our lives. And it is in, watch it now, in the imperative, which is the idea of a command. Paul is saying, I am commanding you, followers of Jesus Christ, submit yourself to the, to the controlling influence and power of the Spirit of God. I am commanding you to submit the totality of who you are to the totality of who he is. Walk by the Spirit. What, what does this simply mean? It just simply means that, 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 that every morning I, 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 just, I just say, Spirit of the living God, you are in control of my life. You, you, you call the shots in my life. You, you are in control. 
You, you be in control of my mind. You, you be in control of my, of my time. You just, you just call the shots. That's just, that's just kind of who you are. Let me share with you what the spirit of what walking in the spirit is not like. And let me share with you what walking in the spirit is like. Walking in the spirit is, is not like the apps on our smartphone. So I got on the plane yesterday to fly out here, and as I often do, I pull out my little weather app and I get the information. What's the weather in the in the flight path that I'm flying to San Francisco look like? And I get the information, I close the app, or I'm, you know, I I I, I get here, and of course it is it is an irresponsible visit to San Francisco and to avoid um, salt and straw. I mean, there's no way I'm coming to San Francisco and not going to salt and straw. So I, 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 I walked there yesterday, I, I get the Google Maps app, that's going to be in the new heavens and new earth, salt and straw, and, 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 and I, I get the step-by-step navigation there, and then when I'm there, I close that thing out. I don't need it. That's not what life in the Spirit is about. Life in the Spirit is not, I'm, I'm in a jam, Spirit of the living God, help me out, or I, I need to hear from you, so let me just fast get what I need and then close you out. No, the Spirit of God is not your administrative assistant to help you with a better life for you. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Paul says, Ephesians chapter five, do not get drunk with wine, for that is excess, hear it now, but be filled, be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Again, he's writing in Greek, the word filled means pleroma, it means to be filled to overflowing. Watch this now, this word pleroma, filled to overflowing, it was used of pregnant women, but not just pregnant women in general, uh, pregnant women in the last days of their third trimester. I'm talking show enough pregnant. I'm talking can't bend down and tie your shoes pregnant. I'm talking so pregnant that even though you just met her for the first time, step to her in bold, courageous confidence and ask her when the babies do pregnant. Because there's no doubt. That's the word Paul uses for life in the spirit. There's just no doubt. Like, like non-Christians on your, li- on your job they don't have the theological language for it, but, but they look at you and go, different. Sort of like what Pharaoh said of Joseph, the spirit of the gods is in him. Bad theology, good point. What Nebuchadnezzar said of Daniel, or, or what Nebuchadnezzar's mother said of Daniel in Daniel chapter five, the spirit of the gods is in him. It's just, just different. Filled to overflowing, no doubt. I'm not calling the shots. The Spirit of God is calling the shots in my life. That's that's what it means. And so when I'm filled with the Spirit, what what does that look like? It looks like when I do something in marriage and I'm filled with the Spirit, and here I am, maybe I've offended my wife. The Spirit of God comes to me and I have a split second decision. Will will I just tell her to suck it up and get over it? Will I ignore it? Will I downplay it? Or will I do what the Spirit of God wants me to do and that's to apologize? Parenthesis, and an apology is not, I'm sorry you took it that way. (laughs) An apology is, sweetheart, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for be specific and then I make the big ask, will you forgive me? That's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Or on the other side of the table, when you wrong me, 
the flesh wants to moonwalk away from you. Praise God for caller ID. Let me just kind of block you. And, and then when I run into you and you're like, man, I've been trying to call you. What happened? Oh, I got a new phone. Like, that's, that's the flesh. <laughs> the Spirit of God says, no, no, no. I actually want you to forgive them and I want you to seek reconciliation with them because I do those things with you every day. And it's tough. I want you to understand something. None of us has the capacity to live the Christian life on our own terms. We come to this thing, batteries not included. If you could live the Christian life on your own terms to the full glory of God, you would never need the spirit of God. So if this sounds ridiculously hard, it should. Well, let's end with this. What does life in the spirit practically look like for me? Paul says, number one, here's what it looks like. He goes, I make you a promise. Brian, when you submit to the totality of the spirit of God, you will have victory over the flesh. Look again at verse 16. Paul says, here's the promise. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What is the flesh? Flesh is not this. It's not skin and bones. It's not blood. It's what the NIV goes ahead and just kind of fills in the gap. The NIV calls it our sinful nature. When we all came into this world, we came, as to quote the big, the notorious B-I-G, we were born sinners. We came into this world sinful people. Psalm 51, David said, behold, I was born in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We came into this world. So that's why you don't have to teach your kids how to lie. You don't, teach your kids, you don't have to teach your kids how to be selfish. Like a baby, a couple days old. Bless that, sweetheart. Baby is in its crib, and the baby never thinks I'm hungry, but mom and dad have to go to work in a few hours, so let me just table my needs so they can get the rest that they need to provide for me. That is not how that baby rolls. <laughs> the baby's thinking, I got needs. Get your hind parts out of bed right now and facilitate my needs. And that stays with us. Now watch it. When you got saved... Jesus did not remove the sinful nature. He just added the spirit. It's really a picture of Genesis 3. The tree of life is there, and so is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is the tree of knowledge of good and evil there? It's there because God's punchline for our lives is glory. And God gets ultimate glory. When we choose by an act of faith not to go the route of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not to go the route of the flesh, but when we just say, I'm not going to do the flesh, I'm going to lean into the spirit, watch it. The flesh and the spirit are not co-pilots. Right now, one is on the throne and the other is not. Right now, for all of our lives, right now in this room. And here's what Paul says. Let me give you some bad news and let me give you some good news. He gives the list, the 15 list, itemized things of life in the flesh. And he ends by saying this, and I, I wish he didn't say this, but I've got to kind of comment on it. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, one translation says, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying if you sin, you go to hell. That's work salvation. What he is saying is if your life is being dominated by the flesh and you can just sin and 
and there's no conviction, there's no guilt, there's no shame, you are not a believer. It's not that you lost your salvation, it's that you never had it. How can you claim to have the third person of the Trinity, Brian, living inside of you and at the same time live in utter defeat? So just like we would say a greedy Christian is an oxymoron, we would say a a selfish Christian is an oxymoron, we would say a lying Christian is an oxymoron, we would say a racist Christian is an oxymoron. These These are lifestyle issues. Now the good news. Paul is not preaching perfection. Notice what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Hear it now. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit, he says, are against the flesh. Hear it now. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, which means this. As a Christian, we are constantly in conflict. You tell a lie. You, 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 you commit an act of gluttony or greed. The, the, the spirit in you is going to grieve that. Why did I do that? Or you go the other route. When tempted to lie, you tell the truth. Or, 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 or when tempted to gluttony, you, you, you don't do that. It, here's what you need to say. The flesh in you is going to grieve that. We are constantly conflicted. That's why he says, that's why you don't do the things you want to do. But here's what he's saying. These things that are in us, the flesh and the spirit, they are, they are opposed to one another. He says, which means this, the way that you know that you're saved, it's not that you sin, we all sin. The way that we know that we're saved is we struggle to sin. There's conflict. If you can just walk into sin, no struggle. That could very well mean the Spirit of God is not in your life. So praise God for the struggle. The struggle is actually a sign that the Spirit is living in us. Is this a safe place for me? So I I meet my wife January 1998. And boy... We start dating. Later on that year, we get engaged. And I hope this is a safe place for me. And when when we get engaged, we start struggling like engaged folks struggle. I feel judgment. (laughs) She's got an apartment in North Hollywood. I have an apartment off Los Robles there in Pasadena. And it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm either at her apartment or she's at my apartment. We've been playing Monopoly the last couple of hours. And I don't want to play no more Monopoly. (laughs) I want to play something else. (laughs) Twister. (laughs) Can I keep it real? (laughs) And the Spirit of God, being the divine nuisance that he is, (laughs) says, hey, bruh, it's time to get to the house. That's how he talks to me. Hey, bruh, it's time to get to the house. I have a split second window. The spirit or twister. <laughs> then the spirit starts say, saying something. It starts recalling scriptures to mind. James 5, confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. Hey, Brian, what would it look like to invite other believers in on this? 
and to say, listen, I've, I've been struggling here and I, I need you to hold me accountable. What, what would it look like to draw some lines? What, what, what would it look like for you and your wife to actually pray about some things or, or, or you and your fiance at the time to actually pray about some things? And so we start doing, doing this and Corey and I are leaning to the power of the Spirit. We're walking in community with one another and July 3rd, 1999 comes together and we, we say I do and we, 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 on our wedding night, it's the first time we'd known each other in that way but I'm here to tell you we didn't get there because of white knuckling our, our way through it and just accountability and just reading a book. We, we actually leaned into the power of the Spirit of God. And we applied those resurrection resources is there grace when we fail? Absolutely. And listen, I believe in therapy. And Corey and I go to, go, 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 go to marriage therapy. I mean, I mean, 2021 was a doozy. Every Wednesday, 4 o'clock, we're sitting there. But, but, but for some of you, here's your word. For some of you, maybe, maybe who, are married, who, who are married, your word is, God is saying, I can actually save you 150 bucks an hour. Why don't you both try being filled with the Spirit? And that's when we get to the second thing real quickly. Please notice 15 items Paul gives in this list. Eight of them are relational. 15 items of the flesh, relational dysfunction. Dissensions, divisions, envy, enmity, so on and so forth. C.S. Lewis says that the, the fountainhead to all vice, what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called the sin beneath every sin, is Pride. The epicenter of the flesh is me. I, I, I want to be fulfilled. And, 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 and I'll use people in utilitarian ways. Some of you men are sexist and misogynistic as it could be. Not everybody, not most of you, but some of you are sexist and misogynistic. Why? Because you view women not as people made in the image of God, but as a collection of body parts that exist for your own gratification. That's the flesh. It's the flesh. So we approach people in those utilitarian ways. Here's what Paul is saying. The flesh erodes relationships. When I'm not filled with the Spirit of God, what'll happen is those relationships over time are going to erode because it's me, 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 and you can't have a healthy we made up of two me's. On the other hand, though, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Hear me. An apple tree never strains to produce apples. It never goes, man, I'm going to produce apples. All it does is abide in the soil. John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, he talks about being fruitful. And the point of apples for an apple tree is not for the apple tree itself. It's for the benefit of others. So when Paul's talking about fruit of the Spirit, that, this is what happens when I'm just submitted to the power of the Spirit of God in my life, when I'm yielded to his power, what then happens? There's fruitfulness. Others are benefited by my life. I was just sitting there the other day, man, and you have to understand, I'm an introvert whose love language is words of affirmation, which pretty much means tell me how great I am and leave me alone. I mean, that's who I am in the flesh. But I'm sitting there with my barber. Yes, I go to a barber. I'm holding on, <laughs> holding on. Pray for a brother. And the Spirit of God says, no, I, I actually want you to open your mouth and 
share the gospel with him. Be fruitful. So I share the gospel with him, and he's telling me, hey, man, I'm about to, to move to Houston. This is a word that I needed. And, man, he is so close to hearing about Jesus Christ. But in that moment, I just had to be, man, am I going to turn inward and just kind of rely on the flesh? Or am I just going just to yield to the Spirit of God? And I'm connecting him to this pastor friend of mine and, and the place that he's moving to. God's going to do it, but it just begins with a decision. Who's calling the shots? Finally, what happens when I walk in the power of the Spirit of God? There's victory over the flesh. There's better relationships, number two. The flesh erodes relationships. The spirit enhances relationships. But thirdly, the fallen are restored. Now, you need to understand this. The words of Scripture are inspired. We understand that. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes to Timothy, for all Scripture is in the Greek, theos noustos, God breathed. But while the words of Scripture are inspired, the chapter and verse divisions are not. Editors came along uh, after the words of Scripture, and they just kind of added that in there, and it's helpful. It helps to keep us on the same page, but sometimes they miss it. I believe they missed it here because we get to chapter 6, verse 1, and he says to them, Brothers, if any, of you, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We get to chapter 6. We assume now Paul is shifting to a different topic, but he is not. How do we know? Because he says, you who are spiritual. In context, the spiritual person is the person whose life is dominated by the Spirit of God. He's talking to a church, and he says, listen, church, I want you to understand something. You're going to have people in your church from time to time, key word, who are caught in sin. The Greek word for caught, it means to be overwhelmed by. It means to be surprised by. This is a, this is a picture of a person who's literally trying to do the best thing. I mean, they're just kind of minding their own business. They, they get on their Instagram account, and an old boyfriend slides into their D, uh, DMs. Maybe there's a quick, innocent exchange that leads to more exchanges. Next thing you know, they're having coffee. Next thing you know, there's this emotional affair that leads to a physical affair. They weren't trying to ruin their family life. They, they were trying to do kind of the right thing. And next thing you know, they just kind of get caught. The word caught, it's the picture of a person maybe who, who's going through a stressful time at work just to take the edge off and have a, kind of maybe a few sips of alcohol or whatever, and the next thing you know, that leads to more. The next thing you know, they're an alcoholic. They weren't trying to make a wreck of their lives. They, they just got caught. Hear me. The idea of caught speaks of someone who's trying to do the right thing, good motives. He's not talking about predators. Paul says, Church of Galatia, I want you to understand there's going to be people who come to your church who maybe serve in leadership or whatever it may be. They're going to be trying to do the right thing. Christians don't bat a thousand. We're going to be caught. And when we're caught up in sin, who do you need to do the work of restoration? Not fleshly people. Fleshly people will gossip. Fleshly people will condemn. What you need are spiritual people, spirit-filled people. One of the ways you know, you ready for this? One of the ways you know whether or not the Spirit of God is dominating your life, it's how you view and handle people around you who've made a mess of their lives. If you really want to know how you and God are doing, how do you handle people who are broken and who have made bad choices? One of my sons, this joker threw the party of parties in our house while we were gone. I said, you know what? I'm done. 
And the Spirit of God reminded me, hey, Brian, uh, let me take you back to the fall of 1990, when you were, uh, summer of 1990, when you were 17. My parents went away for 17 days. We partied 17 days. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, I want to get convenient amnesia and forget what God's delivered me from and look down my nose at other people. Here's what he says. I'm in my seat. He goes, when you see people who've made a mess of their life, he says, restore them. Restore them. When I first moved to North Carolina, a couple of the guys on staff at, at the church I served there in North Carolina, they happened to be white. They said to me, hey, Brian, let's go fishing. I said, okay, great. Where are we going to go fishing? They said, let's go fishing on the Noose River. I said, the Noose <laughs> River? Is this a setup? <laughs> so I get on the boat, and I'm like, a lot of trees around here. <laughs> and the rules that we played by that day was catch and release. We just baited the hook, threw it in there, and here were fish. They weren't saying, man, I hope to get yanked out of the water today and end up in somebody's boat. No, they're just seeing food. They bite into it, and the next thing you know, they're being yanked out of their environment. That's where some of you have been. Catch and release says, when you get that fish, you don't just randomly remove the hook. You, know what? you gently remove it. And you restore it back to its environment. Oh, that's what I want reality San Francisco church to be known as. A place where people come trying to follow Jesus trying to follow Christ, but I can be vulnerable. I can, I can be transparent because I know this is a place not filled with self-righteous Pharisees, but people who have experienced the grace and restorative work of the Spirit of God through the people of God. And when there's that environment, I can say, here, I'm, I'm messed up. Will you walk with me? Will you help me? Friends, evangelicals, we get an A for condemnation and an F for restoration. May reality San Francisco change that narrative. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that your spirit helps us to access all of the resurrection resources at our disposal. God, we don't have to live defeated lives. We can walk in victory. We can walk in resurrection power. God, I know right now I'm, I'm speaking to so many people who, when they kind of look at their lives, there's so much brokenness there. There's areas in which it feels like the flesh has been running up the score. God, May we know the freedom for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And we actualize that freedom through the power of the Spirit of God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says, says there is liberty. Ah, oh, we want that. And may that freedom, Lord God, not just kind of sit in the cul-de-sac of our lives, but may it flow through us to other people. As Brendan Manning says, we fellow ragamuffins, may we walk alongside the broken and do the work of restoration. That's what the city of San Francisco needs. Do it, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.